Hi, my name is Sam Sheen, and I'm joined as always by my friend and professional colleague, Mary Lindbergh, and this is season two of our podcast, Captivated Audience. Marie and I over the years have had the honor and privilege of meeting so many different people around the world working in financial crime prevention. We're really privileged today to chat with one of those folks. She comes from way down south in the United States, where the weather is a whole lot better than it is for Marie and I up here in Europe. Who have we got today, Marie? Oh, we have Elizabeth Slim joining us. Good morning, Elizabeth. How are you doing today? Well, good morning, Marie. Good morning, Sam. And thank you. It's an honor for me to be part of your podcast. So yes, it's very sunny. In fact, we were very grateful last week, the climate cooled down to 80 degrees, you know, our, our Fahrenheit, I didn't know what that is, Celsius, but now it's climbing back up to 90 and triple digits this week. So I, I'm waiting for this cool weather. We only have two seasons here in California, hot and cold, <laughs> you know, we don't have four seasons. So, but I'm looking forward to this time of the year, but spending time with you ladies, you know, this is going to be an exciting moment for me to help answer your questions and share my perspectives. Thank you so much, Liz. So could you just give us a little bit on your background? Because we know that you have an extensive background and you do a lot of volunteer work as well. So please let us know. (laughs) Well, I've been 35 years in the banking industry and it was all by mistake. It was a part-time teller job and I just stayed in banking. But I've been in bank operations bank training, compliance, risk management. And then the last 15 years, I've been a dedicated anti-money laundering officer at various community banks and mid-sized banks where I was helping them with their programs and helping fix it because they did have issues. Uh, I'm also CAM certified uh, since 2004 and very active in the ACAMS community, which is, for those that don't know, the Association of Certified Anti-Money Laundering Specialists. Um, I also founded an ACAMS chapter here in Southern California back in 2009. I've solely pulled everybody together. I did all the legwork, brought this chapter together, formed a board. And within three years of formation, we received the Chapter of the Year Award, too, from the ACAMS organization. I'm still the (laughs) co-chair. They won't let me leave. I've offered to back down (laughs) several times. But my board and everybody says, you can't go because I think, that if I leave, they feel the the chapter will fall apart. So we've been providing a lot of learning events to the Southern California chapter members and other banking, financial, individuals, consultants, but we also partner with law enforcement too. So we have a dedicated event with law enforcement as well. However, it's just a busy time, except right now, you know, like everybody, we're doing (laughs) Zoom, you know, learning events, but uh, it's just a little slowed down. Elizabeth, let me ask you a little bit about some of the legislative developments in the United States, because one of the more interesting one concerns politically exposed persons. Now, way back in 2016-17 here in the UK, there was a bit of a, what we would say, a kerfuffle by the politicians about the politically exposed person requirements under our AML legislation. And they got together and they managed to influence some new guidelines so we didn't treat all PEPs exactly the same. Tell me what's happening over there in the United States. Well, that's interesting because recently FinCEN, uh, which is our financial crime enforcement network, recently issued some guidance regarding politically exposed persons. Now, PEPs have always been addressed in an AML program, but it's also risk-based and they continue to enforce that it is risk-based based on the products and services 
utilized and to understand the relationship with the politically exposed person and their immediate family members or who they're associated with. However, what was very interesting in the fact that it's all foreign PEPs, FinCEN definitely stated that domestic PEPs are not covered under the politically exposed person definition here in the United States. So I thought, okay, we've always known that, but even here domestically, we have politically, you know, exposed people or uh, officials that have been found to be corrupt, that have, you know, conducted tax evasion, that are involved in seemingly nefarious, you know, conduct, money laundering, bank fraud, tax evasion. Paul Manafort, you know, was the close advisor to President Trump. And he has now been indicted in jail. And I think they're still trying to indict him on other issues because he opened several shell companies in Delaware and used those funds to funnel campaign funds or um, lobbyist funds, as well as donations, because he wanted to build that wall for to protect Mexico. But he laundered it to spend it on his lavish lifestyle Always and to the buy way. real estate. Always the way, though. Do you remember when there was Hurricane Katrina and the scandal about the mayor in New Orleans? And I remember there was something to do with bribery and corruption with the then mayor at the time where they discovered he'd issued construction contracts in exchange for a trip to Disneyland. So there's got to still be some corruption at a local level, Liz, to fight, surely. There's always corruption at a local level, which is why I'm surprised FinCEN did not address, you know, local PEPs. However, most bankers understand it's a risk base and most bankers, especially if there's any negative news, they will add local PEPs, local government officials to a watch list. Elizabeth, from what I read, there is no regulatory requirement nor supervisory expectation on the CDD for PEPs. I mean, to screen for beneficial ownerships or, say, adverse media. Again, it's risk-based. You have to build it into your risk assessment. It's who, who are you going to do business with? So your risk assessment needs to drill down. Are we going to do business with PEPs? Are we going to do businesses with embassies? Are we going to allow accounts for money servicing businesses, the cannabis industry, et cetera? Build it into your risk assessment, and then you build your policy and procedures on who you do business with and how you will do the business with the customer. Sam, things that makes you go, hmm, right? Do you remember back in the days when we in the European Union implemented the regulations about PEP? You know, we started off by the foreign PEPs, and thankfully the scope has been widened to include domestic PEPs as well. So what's your opinion on a risk-based approach to PEP, Sam? I actually think the politicians in the UK were on to something here. First off, you can have someone who is a politician, say they're a lord or they're a member of the peerage in the UK, and their wealth is based on a very large house that's kind of falling apart, and they have holes in their sweaters, and you know the money's in their land. They, they don't really have a lot of influence anywhere, and they're, they're not likely to present a really high bribery and corruption risk. What you really want to do is focus on those political officials, both current and former, who have the ability to influence in an, in an adverse way, or perhaps more critically, if you have them on their books and they are vulnerable to being offered bribes. I think though, the real challenge we've got on this side of the ocean is around the close associates. And I say that because there was some compromise and you see that in the risk factor guidelines for Europe, where the novel word now sits in most of our legislation of a known close associate. And you know, Maria, as I always like to say, well, if you're a known close associate of a corrupt PEP, 
then you mustn't be a very good close associate because the whole point of that is no one should know that you're acting in the background. Exactly. So Elizabeth, well, I, need, I need to get your view on that. Um, our current president has a lot of close associates that have already been <laughs> indicted. <laughs> oh, I, what can I say? <laughs> we illustrate that point here. And well, we do not manage domestic preps here. <laughs> and you have an election coming up as well in yes. just in a few weeks. So yeah, it's going to be quite interesting to see how that all turns out. So Elizabeth, tell me then, building on that, big election coming up in November, which means the PEP lists are going to change. What advice would you give people if you were sitting back in your days as a BSA officer to get ready for that? Or would you simply wait for it to let it happen and let your screening tool do its thing? Here in the U.S., we wait for it to happen and let the screening tools do, do its thing. Unfortunately, here in the U.S., to monitor local PEPs, it doesn't happen till you hear that adverse news. This local official was arrested if for, you know, a bribery, you know, some corruption scheme or working with contracts to get a family member to, uh, who owns this plumbing, you know, company to have the contract to do the plumbing in the city hall. Uh, unfortunately, that's the only way here that we can detect the local peps. And it, it happens when we hear that negative news. And I think that's really it because they do the baby kissing. They do the, you know, come here, let me have buy breakfast for you. And I make the promises, et cetera, that will make your life better. That yes, we will go ahead and improve the streets because they're all, you know, there's so many holes in there, you know, and everybody's crying for street fixtures. We'll, we'll make that happen. You know, promises are made, but, uh, and unfortunately, you know, it's not like, other countries where you understand the country risks, like in Malta or, or, or the Congo, you know what you are going to look at and recognize that these are officials that we probably would want to monitor. They're newly elected. So, Marie, what do you think then for European businesses or even businesses in other jurisdictions who might have American politicians on their lists or who may soon continue to be peps even if they lose their seats? What do you think people should be thinking about from a technology point of view? That's a really good question, Sam. It's about the red flags waving, right? I would say it's about networks, the connections between people around an entity or individuals, the beneficial owners and others. But not only from a CDD perspective, PEP perspective, it's about other requirements too, such as the US sanctions and of course the FATCA regulations. Liz, can I get your view on it? I have a thought because here in the U.S., we don't have that transparency. We don't have the luxury of the U.K. with its national beneficial ownership registry. We're trying to work that out. But with 50 states here, you know, they don't play nicely together. And then nobody wants to take the ownership of having to collect that data and monitor and manage it. I think it's been proposed at our IRS because they collect all the information anyway on businesses that they should manage it. But now it's pointing to a FinCEN to be the national registry. Again, then you have the businesses, you know, and, and the politicians that are saying, no, it's not right. We shouldn't do this. The cost is going to be so enormous to maintain, et cetera, et cetera. So there is legislation. There are laws helping to get that national registry. It's going to be a slow process. I see it coming because FATF basically criticized us. And the U.S. is second next to Switzerland as a tax haven. We're the biggest violators. So why shouldn't we have this? 
Oh, that's a very good tip. So people, if you have a low risk rating for US as a country in your databases, perhaps you should revise that. And, it is and true. I, I'm the first to say. <laughs> people forget that the United States is not a member of CRS. Indeed, they are not. They have their own little regulation called FATCA. And it's a fierce one. Don't it mess is. around with FATCA. No way. So Elizabeth, last question from me. We've had lots of fun working with each other in 2020. I learned a lot about our respective jurisdictions. Uh, you know, if you hear me say 5AMLD one more time, I'm sure you're likely to throw a pencil at me at this point. <laughs> but so enough about Europe. What's going to be on the horizon in the AML landscape of the US for 2021, do you think? The push for cannabis banking. Sorry, I nearly started laughing when you said cannabis <laughs> banking. I was like, is that how they're going to get people to open a bank account? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, I know here in California, they're pushing to open a public bank just to service the cannabis industry. Recently, North Dakota opened a public bank strictly for the fintech industry. Banks are reluctant to bank the cannabis industry due to its labeled a substance one, one of the highest rating, meaning that it's a felony do anything, having to touch cannabis. And because it's a felony on the federal level, even though we have 50 states, I would say about 40 of our 50 states have either legalized cannabis for medical reasons or recreational reasons. So there's that conflict. It's a federal offense, but the states allow it. And how do banks manage banking this industry? The banks have allowed it. Banks are state chartered as well. But yet, if they get caught, the feds can come down and shut the bank down for committing a felony. So there's that catch-22 banks that there are banks and credit unions that are allowing cannabis industry as a customer. It's so regulated. Each state has different certifications and laws to manage it. It's so confusing, and it takes a whole department just for banking cannabis. Wow. Yes. I See, look at all the fun we miss over on this side of the world, Marie. Oh, my goodness, yes. That, that's why we have this incredible network of brilliant, talented people, you know, scattered all, all over the world. So, Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with Sam and I today. We truly appreciate it. It was a fun to have you here on Captivated Audience. Oh, it was my pleasure. And the time went so fast. I enjoyed speaking with you, ladies. Thank you so much. And if you would like to do as Elizabeth did and come and join us on our show to talk about a few good topics, please reach out to us on captivatedaudience.eu or simply just look us up on LinkedIn. Until next time, thank you and please stay safe.